It's Monday, January 25th, and you're tuned into the Cleveland Baseball Talk podcast. I'm Joe Noga, joined by Paul Hoynes, our tribe beat writer. Hoynesy, uh, it was uh, an interesting weekend uh, in, in the world of baseball. Uh, the passing of uh, basically a legend in, in Hank Aaron uh, on Friday sort of, uh, you know, opened the weekend and, uh, you know, brought up all sorts of, of memories of, you know, his chase for Babers home run record, but also just what a, a, an incredible, you know, just icon and figure he was, not just to the baseball world, but also, uh, you know, really to the black community and to everyone in the United States who, who just took something away from what Hank Aaron meant to, uh, you know, baseball and, and, and really uh, the United States as, as a whole. What were your feelings when you heard and you learned that, that Hank Aaron had passed uh, on Friday? Yeah, Joe, first of all, it's saying, God, I mean, uh, you know, what a terrible run, you know, uh, uh, we've seen with uh, MLB Hall of Famers, you know, since the start of last year. I think there's 10 or, or 11 guys have died, you know, and, and not just, not just, you know, run of the mill Hall of Famers, if you can call them that, but, uh, you know, like Mount Rushmore Hall of Famers, uh, you know, uh, Hank Aaron, uh, Bob Gibson, Lou Brock, uh, Joe Morgan, Whitey Ford, uh, Al Kaline, uh, Tommy Lasorda, Don Sutton, guys like that. that Tom Seaver. Tom Seaver, yeah. Just, uh, you know, the list goes on and on and on. And just, you know, it's it's really devastating, you know, to baseball, to the fans, and uh, to the Hall of Fame. But with Aaron, you know, I think uh, – you know, this is a guy that really was chasing, you know, America's, you know, favorite boss, ball player in, in, in uh, Babe Ruth and uh, got death threats and, uh, and finally passed him, you know, with the, you know, the, the home run record that no one thought would, could, could be broken when he hit the 715th home run. And uh, just a, a guy that, you know, Joe, I never really looked into his career. I mean, I looked at it, but I mean, you just study that career and just how consistent this guy was as a player and what, 20, 20 straight seasons with 20 or more homers. Uh, he had 15 seasons with 30 or more homers, never hit really 47, more than 47 homers in a season, but he stole bases. He was a 30, 30 guy and a 25 time all-star. I mean, it just kind of, it's, it's blows you away and over like 23 years and it's, it's just a, a 23 year career. So geez. And, and, and to do that in, uh, you know, the last one of the few, one of the, I think probably the last big leaguer that had played in started in the, in the Negro leagues, you know, started his career there. So, uh, just a, a great career, a great guy, and uh, and just uh, you know, he uh, he did it under really really tough conditions. Right. He uh, he went on after his career to to really sort of have to to be like that that ambassador that that, that baseball needed uh, to to sort of bridge generations and and make sure that. Uh, you know, just like Jackie Robinson, he, he wanted to make sure that more there were more black players getting involved in the game and and and, and promoted their causes as well. Uh, I remember he was when the Indians dedicated the, the Frank Robinson statue. Uh, he was at the, the ballpark 
uh, on Heritage Plaza, uh, Frank Robinson, who also passed away last year around this time. Um, there, the statue that's there as the the first black manager in baseball, and and Hank Aaron was there uh, to to mark the occasion, uh, and and just a, a just such a beloved figure. Uh, it's spoken so glowingly uh, by you know the the other writers uh, around the league and and those who who followed, especially in Atlanta, where uh, you know he was from Alabama, but Atlanta was sort of his uh, adopted. Uh, uh, home in that in that regard, just uh, just one of those luminary figures. I I still can't get over the he's number one in, in RBIs. He's got over what sixteen hundred yeah. RBIs. Uh, yeah. You know that's another mark that might never be broken. Over you know, RBIs and total bases, and he still. I mean, he retired like in seventy five, seventy six. You know, Joe, I saw him uh, hit his first American League home run. Uh, he was finishing his career with uh, with the Brewers, and I think it was like 75 maybe or 76 hit it off Gaylord Perry at the, oh, at wow. the stadium. Yeah. So, it would, and, uh, uh, it was, I just, I remember that and, uh, that's pretty cool. And, you know, this is a guy that showed the image that sticks out to me, you know, Aaron, while he was chasing Ruth was, you know, you know, getting death threats and, and had boxes of hate mail. And he kept that, kept all that, you know, and uh, to motivate him. He kept all that mail years after he, he still had it. And uh, when he finally hit 715 and he's going around the bases, you know, two two white kids jump on the field and, and run around the bases with them to celebrate. And I, I was just thinking of that, you know, just this is a black guy, a black man that had been, you know, racial. I mean, just, uh, you know, just, uh, you know, followed with all this hate and vile just because of the you know, the color of his skin and the, you know, kind of the first two people that greet him were these two white kids who were just having a heck of a time running around the field. And, and it just stuck with me with that image. And, uh, you know, I wonder, you know, what the rest of the country or the rest of the world thought about that. It was probably pretty scary for him if he's out there. Yeah, he, it looked like uh, it's him. Well, uh, you think about it, all the threats that were, were coming true for it in, in that moment after he hit second base and those two guys caught up with him. You know, he probably thought, oh, wow, they really meant it when they said they were going to get me if I pass them. I, I mean, <laughs> think about it, how terrifying that had to be for him. Uh, but, you know, it all it, I guess it all worked out. That's that's not <laughs> the image for me when I see that uh, that video is, oh, man, I'm, I'm glad he didn't turn around and like haul off and punch one of those guys because that would have sort of ruined the moment. Yeah. Uh, uh, so we um asked our subtext subscribers who sometimes uh, tend to skew uh, maybe on the little bit uh, more veteran side i guess if, if we can say that uh we asked our subtext subscribers on in indian subtext uh you can subscribe by uh, going to uh cleveland.com slash subtext or uh join subtext.com slash cleveland indians and it's three uh three ninety nine a month a uh, great opportunity to get insight and information uh, from Hoinsey and myself, but also to share your opinions on topics uh, uh, about the Indians or about baseball in general. Uh, we asked you guys to give us your impressions of Hank Aaron and what you remember about his chase for uh, 715 uh, way back in 1974, back before I was uh, uh, born. I think at the time my parents were uh, about 13, uh, about what? 13 days away from getting married. So I wasn't even a twinkle yet at, at the time. 
but here's some of your responses. Uh, Patrick in Garfield Heights writes that he was 15 years old doing homework and had the TV on to watch. He didn't realize he'd be watching history or one of the greatest ever when uh, Al Downing served up that home run on, uh, I believe it was April 8th of- um, Yeah, April 8th. April 8th of 1974. Uh, this writer from the, uh, from the 614 area code says, I was a little guy at the time, but like you, I've seen the highlights many times. So the, the like you were saying, that, that video of Aaron rounding second base and getting greeted by uh, those two guys down in Atlanta, um, who ran with him around the bases uh, briefly. That, that's one of those indelible video memories that we all see the highlights played over and over again. Uh, here's a, another writer. Uh, he said, he says, uh, I remember it well. I was in Pittsburgh sitting in Taylor's pub in Shadyside. And that was a tough place for Cleveland fans. Uh, my boss's last name was Downing. So needless to say, I had some fun with my boss the next day. So that's, that's an interesting take there by, yeah, uh, that's good. by a guy. Uh, all right. From the 419 area code, uh, he writes, it was a nationally televised game that night. So I was in front of our TV. My favorite memory is the scrum for the baseball in the Braves bullpen. Tom House, a relief pitcher, came up with the ball and brought it in and presented it to Hank. House went on to be a noted pitching coach and a baseball movie consultant even a football quarterback's mechanics coach for Tom Brady. So that's interesting. I, I, you know, you know, Joe, Tom house, Tom house, when he was, he was a pitching coach for Texas. Mm -hmm. He was a pitching coach for a bunch of teams. He's the first guy that had pitchers thrown footballs to each other. If mm -hmm. you ever see that, you know, they, to get the, he said the motion kind of replicated that of a pitcher. He got, right. And so you, know, you used to see, you don't see it so much anymore, but a lot of guys you would see, uh, pitchers out there throwing throwing footballs around. Okay, a couple more here. I actually from the same uh, the same guy in in uh, the Toledo area code. Uh, I also remember the previous late summer. Hank didn't quite make it make the record in 1973. He reached 713. So the anticipation during the off season was huge. The 1974 season started in Cincinnati against the Braves, and many wanted Hank to sit out the opening series so he could tie and break the record in Atlanta. He tied it with 714 in Cincinnati and then moved on to Atlanta to break it. So that's interesting that, uh, that the, there were calls for Hank Aaron to sit out the first series in Cincinnati so that he didn't break the record too quickly. Yeah, they were, they were looking for a sellout at, uh, down in Atlanta. They wanted to sell some tickets to that one. Well, if, if he would have hit 715 in Cincinnati, you know, the, the, the gate sales in Atlanta probably wouldn't have been all that, uh, you know, robust uh, the, the, the following series. Uh, this guy writes that he remembers the song, Move Over Babe, Here Comes Henry, the lyrics by Ernie Harwell, the music written by my Tigers pitcher, Bill Slayback. So there, and he, he provided a YouTube link, but I guess that doesn't exactly translate right here uh, <laughs> on our podcast. Finally, here's a, here's a Hank story from Bud in Arizona. He says, I was living in Houston during the mid-80s and did a power station repair job at Phillips Petro and became friends with the maintenance superintendent and we talked baseball during the job. He had great stories to, talk, uh, to tell about Hank during the 1960s 
and early 70s when the Braves played the Colt 45s. Hank wasn't allowed to stay at the team hotel, so he stayed with my friend whenever the Braves were in town. He told me Hank was the kindest and most humble man he ever met. He never heard Hank complain about the horrible racial injustices and never took advantage of his baseball fame. When Hank was in town, he was just Hank the man and not hammering Hank the baseball icon. If ever there was a sports, uh, a sports model, it was Hank. Rest in peace, Hank. The world was a better place when you were in it. So, so really touching from, from Bud, who, who knew a guy who used to have to have to board Hank Guerin when he, uh, he came into town because, because there was a, he wasn't allowed to stay with his teammates. That's, that, that, to me, in, in this day and age, just seems the, the craziest thing. Uh, but, but again, you're talking about a guy who, who was probably one of the best and most well-rounded hitters in the history of the game. Yeah, I mean, Joe, I mean, he, you take away his 755 home runs, he still had over 3,000 hits. You know, so he still would have gotten a Hall of Fame. And he was a huge Browns fan, Joe. He was, I guess, uh, you know, when I covered the Browns a long time ago, there was, I remember a couple times, you know, you would see, he, you would look around it and there was Hank Aaron at practice. You know, why? And you were sitting there thinking, what is that really Hank? You know, is that really Hank Aaron? And he said, you know, he, he told the reporters that, you know, sometimes he, he disguised himself to sit in the dog pound. And, uh, you know, Bobby DiBiasio, who's still working for the Indians, uh, told me that every every Friday during the football season, he'd get a call from Aaron and he'd want updates on, on the Browns. You know, he, so he saved all the papers from the week and would, would tell them who's healthy and who's hot, who's not. And he, so I, it's, it's, it's weird like that. And, and the day... And the day he um, he broke uh, Babe's record, you know, B Bowie Kuhn was the uh, commissioner, mm -hmm. and Bowie was in Cleveland giving an address, talking, giving a uh, address to the Wahoo Club because he'd made a commitment to the Wahoo Club, so and be instead in of being in, in Atlanta to watch history. Uh, very interesting, Bobby DiBiazio, Browns Insider. I didn't know that that was uh, yeah. one of uh, one of Bobby D's titles. I think we'll have to we'll have to uh, bust his chops the next time we're we're able to see him in person in a, a, at the ballpark uh, uh, to, to talk about that. But very interesting to note that uh, Bobby D and Hank Aaron used to talk Browns in the off season. Wow. Yeah, Bobby. Bobby said every Friday you get two calls in the morning, one from Hal Levowitz. You know the PD sports editor for his mm -hmm. Sunday notes, and and the next one from uh, from from Hammer and Hank. Crazy. That's uh, really uh, really interesting. All right. Uh, moving on from from one Hall of Famer uh, legend to uh, potentially others. Uh, the the vote for this year's Hall of Fame is is coming up. the The results are are set to be released tomorrow evening, six o'clock. Uh, on Major League Baseball Network uh, Tuesday here uh, right now tracking the the top vote getters. It looks like uh, as of right now, Kurt Schilling is a strong possibility to be to be named and on uh, three fourths of the ballots. Uh, get that 75% and, and, and get in. Uh, Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens tracking just below the necessary 75%. Uh, so they will, will likely not be in. 
Uh, and, and Omar Vizquel looking like, uh, you know, the guy who had, had been up in the, in the 50% range, uh, looks like he's, he's dropped off slightly. Uh, what's the, the latest that you're hearing in regards to that? Yeah, uh, Omar was, you know, at 52.6% uh, last year at the end of last year's balloting. I thought he was in a great, like we talked before, Joe, I thought he was in a great spot to really move up maybe 60, 65%. This year, there wasn't a, you know, the, 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 in the uh, 2021 class didn't uh, include a, uh, you know, a can't miss guy or a first ballot guy. And I thought the, the path was open for him. And then the uh, domestic violence story broke from, with the athletic. And I think that's really, really hurt him. And, um, you know, I think the last time, you know, the, the people that, that keep track of the vote, the voting, Ryan uh, Thurbido, I, I can't, I can never say that. And uh, he he's he's tracking the uh, votes that have been made public, and he has them at a forty percent. Now, you sometimes you know when the when the votes get announced, uh, uh, th those tend to uh, it might jump a little bit, but that's a significant drop. And uh, you know I don't you know and you know and, uh, and I think a lot of voters voted before this story came out. So the repercussions of this story, you know. You know, are going to really influence Omar, not even not this year, but next year as well, as as more details come out. Yeah, you could maybe see uh, an even greater drop there. Uh, there's a possibility, uh, you know, and that's a, a character issue. And that bring uh, that's not an on on field, you know, discussion. Omar is very worthy. Uh, character issues those come into play sometimes with these voters, particularly with the the steroid era guys and and that. But it's interesting to note that Kurt Schilling uh, is a guy who, you know, the voting was all done before the end of the year, before December 31st, you had to have your ballots in. Yeah. Kurt, Kurt Schilling is a guy who's tracking right now to be in. And that was, uh, you know, voters were, were at the time looking past his, uh, I want to say conservative or right-wing views, his, the things that he said that have, uh, sort of put him in a, a negative light in that regard. But after the Capitol uprising on January 6th, he came out and supported some of the insurrectionists and in what they did. And we've now got stories of at least one or two guys who voted for Schilling in this last cycle who have said, who have inquired as to whether or not they can rescind their vote and, and take it back. So uh, Kurt Schilling comes out, he's He's Mr. Breitbart. He's Mr. Right Wing, you know, Trump supporter, whatever. Uh, for a while, it had held him back a little bit. This year, it looks like he's going to get in. And now he comes out and supports violent insurrectionists. Uh, you know, rightfully, rightfully or wrongfully, they're going to ask if they can take their votes back, which they can't. But meanwhile, Omar is over there getting, you know, losing his yeah. support as well. I, I really there's just no consistency on character issues among the hall of fame voters. Either yeah, and, you've got, either you've got hall of fame character or you don't. And, and, and I, there, I, is a, there is a character clause in the voting. I mean, you're supposed to take that into account. I think, uh, I saying here? I might not, I might be, I might be wrong on that. There, I, I believe there's a, a morals clause yeah, somewhere yeah. in there where, where it says that, you know, you're supposed to, take into account whether this is a, a hall of fame worthy person, not just ball player. Yeah. 
Yeah, and, you know, Schilling, to me, almost seems like he doesn't want to get in. I mean, this is a guy at 70, got, was at 70% of the vote, Joe, last year. I mean, you only one other player, I think, has, has not get all, got elected, you know, in, in the history of the Hall of Fame when he's reached a 70, uh, 70% threshold. And uh, this guy seems to, I mean, I, I don't know what his point is. You know, I, I really don't. Or is he, is he like thumbing his nose at, at the at the writers and, and saying, you know, I, I can say anything you want. And if you don't elect me, you know, it's it's on you. You know, I mean, I, it's, it's, a, it's such a weird, weird thing. And I, I've read a bunch of stories where guys that had vo voted for him in the past were no longer voting for him. But uh, I don't know. It's 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 a it's a it's a tough situation, and I don't get it. I I I'm not sure what this guy is angry about. If if you stripped away all the off-field stuff away from baseball and just looked at his baseball career and what he did and what the games he won and the times he pitched, Kurt Schilling is on his face a Hall of Famer. Uh, I don't think there's a lot you can argue about that if you go by just the numbers. But like you said, all he had to do was keep his mouth shut between this time last year and now, and he could easily, he would sail in. There would be no question about any of that other stuff, but he continues to push and he continues to make this, make his hall of fame candidacy more about his character than about his play. And I, I don't understand how anybody can vote for someone who, now has, has since the ballot, if, if he had come out and said any of this, or if January 6th had happened, you know, before the ballots were due, I think this would, that would have really hurt him uh, in a lot of ways, because just like the way, uh, you know, people in Congress shouldn't be supported for trying to take down the election. I don't think, uh, you know, Kurt Schilling should be elected in regards to his, his support of those insurrectionists. That's, just not something I see as, as happening. He's on the ballot again. It, was this his last year yeah. of eligibility? No, he's got uh, one more year left. This is so. this is his uh, second. This is this is Schilling's. Uh, let's see. This was Schilling's ninth year, so he's on one more. He's on one more. Yeah. If he if he yeah. somehow doesn't make it this year, I don't see how he gets the support in his final year. Yeah, uh, a lot of people. A lot of people say no one will get elected to this hall. Yeah, uh, you know that that this Hall of Fame class and. You know, that could be right. I'd hate to see it, uh, you know, but, you know, we've got the overlap from last year because right. there was no, you know, no, no, no ceremonies last year. But, uh, but, uh, you know, and, and we've had like, you know, God, we've had like the last 10, 12 years, we've had like a ton of big, huge classes, a lot yeah. of huge classes get in and, uh, you know, you know, quality, quality players get in too. Bonds and Clemens uh, still have this year and next year eligibility. Yeah. Or? Bonds, Clemens, Schilling, and Sosa are in their ninth year. This is their ninth year, so they've got one more year to go. Very interesting. All right, and moving on. Manny, Manny's in his fifth year, so he's got five more to go. But yeah, I don't, I don't know about Manny. Manny is, Manny is going to stay at about 30 to 35%, unfortunately. Yeah. I, that's my prediction. All right, moving on. Uh, we did find out uh, former Indians closer Brad Hand agreed to terms with the Washington Nationals on a one-year contract, one year, 10.5 million. When he was set with an option for the Indians at 10 million with a $1 million buyout, but the Indians uh, cut him loose 
didn't pick up the uh, the option. So he really made an extra half million dollars by by becoming a free agent and, and signing with the Nationals. Yeah, I, I, I just this is such a weird thing. I, I mean, hey, is that is that really the market for Brad Hand? It was sixteen for sixteen, and you know, for saves led the big leagues in saves. Uh, games led the American League in games finished. Um, and, you know, obviously, you know, there probably is some concern because his fastball velocity has dropped, but he was, you know, slider was still, he's still striking people out. Uh, so maybe, you know, maybe they, people weren't looking at him as a closer, but the thing, the weird thing is Joe, if, if, if you knew what you do now back when they didn't pick up his option, the end is wouldn't he be tempted to pick up his option and maybe try to trade him? And uh, maybe you could have got something. I don't know what you could have got in, in return, but maybe maybe they were scared of the market. There, there just wasn't a market, and they just didn't think they'd get a, a good return for him. Yeah, and then you're and then you've got ten million dollars. Brad Hand yeah. sitting there as your highest paid player. Uh, as it turns out, it only cost him a million dollars in the in the buyout for for that option. Uh, and you yeah, got Karen Check. you've got Karen Check. I. I, I, what you said is probably true. I think maybe a lot of teams weren't looking at him as a closer, maybe as an eighth inning guy, because he's effective against righties. He can get both sides of the plate out. Uh, he, he really does slot as, as more of a, an eighth inning guy now, To in, in my mind. Uh, also, he, he lives, I believe, in, in Jupiter, Florida, and that's right around where the National right. train, like he's it, like in their backyard uh, in, in terms of uh, spring training. So that's nice for him. Uh, I don't know if that was a, a big reason why he signed there, but uh, you know, it would just be interesting to see uh, he's, he's in the, the national league East. He's going to be facing some of the, <laughs> some of the best in baseball that that national league East is, is the most competitive division right now on paper uh, that, that uh, baseball has uh, heading into the season uh, probably along with the national league West. Um, uh, speaking of divisions getting more competitive, uh, the rich get richer as the Yankees trade for Jamison Talion from the Pirates. Uh, the Pirates right now are basically every team's uh, AAA uh, <laughs> affiliate kidding. as they've traded away Joe Musgrove. They've now traded away Jamison Talion, uh, who had uh, an, an advocate in the Yankees clubhouse in terms of Garrett Cole, a former teammate, who said, hey, if you're going to bet on somebody, bet on Jamison coming back from his second elbow surgery. Uh, so Aaron Boone and the Yankees rolled the dice. They, they traded four prospects to get Talion. Uh, now the, the Yankees rotation looks like you've got Cole Severino, Kluber, Talion in the mix, Jordan Montgomery. Uh, they're, they're shaping into a, a decent enough starting rotation. Yeah. And at Deve, Deve Cruz, Deve, and they brought Deve a couple Cruz, guys yeah. In you know on minor league deals, uh, uh, Shaquin uh, Shaquin is is in there, um, so uh, you know it's going to be interesting because they lost so many guys. Joe, do they you know uh, who they lose? Uh, you Tanaka know, Paxton. Tanaka, yeah. So you know, and uh, so so uh, you know it, it's going to be interesting to see how that rotation comes together for sure, definitely. And and the Pirates. Have made all these trades. They traded Josh Bell to, mm -hmm. to Washington, and they've got like fourteen prospects for all this year. So I guess Ben Sherrington, 
you know, they're going to have a lot of players to sort through. Derek Shelton and Ben Sheridan, Ben uh, Charrington are going to have a lot of players to sort through in in, in spring training. And uh, the rebuild has begun in serious, serious nature in, in, uh, in Steel City. Is it is it possible to tear things down past the studs? That's what, uh, yeah. that's what they're doing yeah. in Pittsburgh. Uh, our friend Anthony Kastrovins from MLB.com uh, tweeted something funny. He said, uh, I don't know who's going to win the NL East this year because there's a lot of teams that are in it. Uh, I don't know who's going to win the NL East this year, but I know who's not going to win the NL East. Uh, or, and and uh, or, I'm sorry, the NL Central. I see, I'm the sorry. Is the NL, it's like I know who's going to win the uh, – I don't know who's going to win the NL Central, but I know who's not. And it was the uh, the Pittsburgh Pirates. Boy, I screwed that up, didn't I? All right. Uh, uh, speaking of young pitching prospects, we did get a chance uh, on Friday to talk to Tristan McKenzie from the Indians. Uh, boy, I- I'll tell you what. For for 23 years old, Tristan McKenzie is polished and a pro at doing press. He is. Uh, he speaks in in perfect quotes and and has well thought out responses. Uh, it's going to be a joy over the next four or five years to cover Tristan McKenzie. And just as long as his attitude stays as positive as he is, uh, he, he was really a pleasure to talk to uh, on Friday and just get his thoughts on a lot of things. He didn't say much. He didn't reveal much, but, uh, but it was still interesting to talk to him and, and a lot of fun. Uh, I think the biggest thing that we took away from McKenzie's time talking to us there was uh, he wants to go to that next level. He wants to sort of pick everybody's brains. And and now that he's gotten a taste and he's seen what, you know, it's like every day to day in the big leagues, he's, he's got that blueprint in that path and he's just going to sit there with a notebook and and study everybody and and take something away from Corey, uh, Corey, uh, (laughs) Shane Bieber, Corey Kluber, geez. Uh, take something away from Shane Bieber. Learn from Zach Plesac and Aaron Savali, guys that he talks to every day. Uh, just a, a really interesting uh, sort of 10, 15-minute conversation with uh, Tristan McKenzie. What did you uh, take away from that? Yeah, I agree, Joe. His his answers, you know, he always says something, but he's kind of short and sweet. He's short mm-hmm. and concise. You know, he's not going to sit there and ramble and get himself into trouble, which is a good thing. You can tell. I, I don't know if the Indians have a media coach or what, but uh, they've made an impression on him. And, uh, you know, I like the fact that uh, he said, I asked, I think somebody asked him, did you go on vacation uh, uh, after the season? He goes, no, he just went home, you know, and uh, spent time at home in Florida. And as opposed to last year, last winter, where he was in Goodyear the whole winter rehabbing. He and said, he said his, he, oh, go ahead. You're going to get to it. No, no, go on, go on. Go on. He, he said his vacation was staying home and eating his mother's cooking. Yeah. That's what so it hopefully, was. hopefully he gained a few pounds. Yeah. That's, that's all. <laughs> but uh, I, I really liked what he said uh, about uh, uh, Hank Aaron. You know, he was asked about that. And he's a 23 year old kid. I mean, he was born, I think, maybe over 20 years after Hank's last, last season in the big leagues, but he, you know, he knew about him. He, he said just the right things. You could tell this kid is, uh, you know, he, he's paying attention. He's, he's, he's got, and uh, he just said, you know, we've lost one of, you know, the black uh, com- pillars of baseball or one of the pillars of baseball. You know, when, when you talk about Hank Aaron, you say home run King and uh, just uh, really, really, uh, you know, kind of just 
just great answers and uh, a thoughtful kid. You can tell he's just not saying the first thing that comes comes to his mind. Right. Now, he was asked about what it was like coming home and spending the offseason with his younger brother, who is uh, an infielder at Vanderbilt. And after now, he's he's made it to the big leagues. He's he's realized that dream. And, you know, the, he was asked whether he's walking around, you know, sort of puffing out his chest big time and his brother um, uh, in, in front of the, you know, the family at, at, when you're spending time at home. And he said, no, he said, he said, this is, this is it. We're, we're it's the real, it's everything that we dreamed it would be. And it, when he's talking to his brother and, and saying, you know, what, what you pictured it was going to be, that's what it's like. It, it, he said it was uh, just, he had a, a real appreciation for even just the, the eight games he appeared in and, you know, the, the, the month and a half that he spent in, in the big leagues this past uh, season. So, Again, yeah, everything was weird. No, uh, no debut in front of you know a crowd full of people for him. No, no big league debut that that was sort of taken away from him by the by the virus. But uh, you know the, the experience I think is is going to help him, and and I guess he still qualifies for as a rookie this this upcoming season if he if he spends a year on the on the roster. Yeah, he, oh, that's good. He, he's, he he would be eligible for you know rookie of the year consideration if he's. This is his upcoming season will be his rookie year. So one to watch for definitely for, and I don't think Karen check would, uh, would qualify as a rookie. No, I think he's, he's, uh, yeah. I I like the fact, Joe, that, that Tristan was calling Bieber and texting Polisak and Savali and exchanging notes and just talking to him and talking to your teammates. I'm sure kind of picking their brain or just like he texted Polisak to wish him happy birthday. You know, that that's, it shows you, you know, that he's he's thinking he's he's learning and uh you know he's got a good head on his shoulders all right well one thing that Tristan McKenzie didn't know or didn't uh you know didn't really have the answers to was when he's going to report to spring training or when the the club expects him uh to to you know sort of get things underway uh we're, we're still unsure I think Major League Baseball hasn't made any sort of announcements or anything uh, with the way that the coronavirus is is still sort of raging across the country, and the uh, the rollout of the vaccine being uh, you know slow as it is, I what do you think the chances are that we're going to start spring training on time and get everything going on time? You know that's a great question, Joe. You know I know uh, you know Commissioner Rob Manfred, uh, Paul Dolan, uh, and Terry Francona talked to uh, the corp- the Indians corporate sponsors last week late last week and Manfred's message was, you know, we intend to open the season on time and spring training on time. You know, the regular season opens April 1st, Uh, spring training is scheduled to open around February 17th. But I've also heard, you know, from from, like you said, with Tristan McKenzie, we also talked to uh, Andres Jimenez and and, uh, Ahmed uh, Rosario last week, the two infielders the Indians received in, from the Mets and in, in the Lindor Carrasco deal, and they didn't know when they were reporting to spring training. I mean, that, that's a date you have circled on your calendar. You right. know, as soon as, like two weeks after the the end of, the end of the previous season, I've also heard you know the uh, teams still don't know how many uh, players are going to be allowed in the uh, at at the complex at the same time at the spring training complexes at the same time. The roster sizes are still up in the air. Uh, the use of a universal DH is still undecided. So there's a there's a lot of balls in the air here right right now, Joe. And 
you know, I, I would think, you know, somebody's got to kind of make a right, drop the hammer here and make a decision pretty soon because what, what is it? It's uh, April. I mean, it's January 20, 22nd, 23rd or 25th, right? It's 25th. Oh, is he? Oh, it's the 25th. Yeah, we're, so, we're getting closer. Uh, yeah. Breaking news right here. Uh, I just got a text saying that we should anticipate a, uh, a Zoom this week with uh, Indians uh, Public Relations Department, uh, Baseball Operations Department, uh, discussing spring training specifics with reporters. So maybe there is, I mean, we're moving at a glacial pace, but uh, maybe there is some some light at the end of the tunnel here. We, we could be looking at some answers uh, pretty soon. So uh, we'll, we'll keep a, an eye on that. We'll keep an eye on uh, how the Hall of Fame voting turns out tomorrow night. We'll be back with you on Wednesday with another edition of the Cleveland Baseball Talk podcast. Hoinsie, we'll see you then. All right, Joe.